In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode number 93, I'm Just a Girl. No Doubt. No Doubt! Ugh. I was obsessed the name of the with band. No Doubt. Yeah, that's uh, yes. the name of the band, yeah. Yes! I mean, we were of the age to be obsessed with yes. No Doubt. Yes, yes. Also, I don't know if you ever saw Captain Marvel, which came out a couple of years ago. I it features not. a uh, prominent fight scene set to this song, <gasps> which is ideal, because she was the first female superhero to get her own movie. Yes. It was very... Was wonderful. That's a great use of this song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, I'm, I kind of still am. I have to admit it. Like, I don't like that. I mean, now we're getting into celebrity gossip, which is yeah. not the topic of this, but yeah. still, Blake Shelton. Come on, I know it's a weird over Gavin Rosdale. I know <sighs> that seems very odd to me. I mean, maybe the youngsters don't understand who Gavin Rosdale was. Yeah, I guess not. Maybe yeah, he was hotness personified. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. Oh, that shit is bananas. B a n a. Oh, Aaron, why'd you pick this song? I just thought it was a great, rich theme for talking about. Yes. Either, we could do it either way. Either females that were like the first in their field coming out, being mm-hmm, strong, mm-hmm. or that were being stifled. Yes. Because they're female. So much stifling. Just a girl. Just a girl in the world. Yeah. Take that pink that's ribbon. That's all that you'll have me be. I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> oh, I think it was. Something. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it sounded right. right. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I got a question for you. Oh, gosh. All right. So, thinking about you as a younger, yes, younger girl, a young girl, just a girl, just a girl, just a girl in the world. Mm -hmm. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Just, I'm I'm sure there's so many things Mm because there's so many things for me. But Mm -hmm. what's one thing that there's other females like you? Yes, like they're not the people that you're automatically surrounded with are not who you don't have to 
stay there. Mm-mm. It's okay to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to let go of some pressure because it's never going to change. Like there's always going to be pressure. So no and matter just, how. Yeah, it just shifts. It yes. morphs. Yeah. No matter how sure. hard you work to meet it, somebody else is waiting around the corner. So Ugh. you might as well just get rid of it now. Like, I, no, I'm not that person and I don't care. And that's yeah. the beautiful thing is that we're all different and bring different things to the table. So fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the chorus of this yeah. song. Goes, fuck off. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> right off. <laughs> that is a great point. Because I think, yeah, yeah, especially if you're um, a, a little uncomfortable as a young girl in school, yeah. you're you're not happy with the selection of friends that have been set f- before you. It'd be very nice to know that there's other people like you, well, other girls like you. And don't you think it's interesting? Like, I have found this phenomenon a lot. It, I don't, I'm not saying it's every case, but a lot of males, like, they have their friends for their entire life. Like, they yes. find them in elementary or whatever, and they're great. They, it lasts forever. And yeah. it, it seems like more often than not, I hear female stories of, like, a friendship gone wrong or something yes. terrible that happened. And you're like, you know, why is that? Well, it's society setting it up to be that way, right? Yeah. We're, we have to be in competition with each other always. Yes. And I think on the other side too, uh, you know, deep male friendship is not prized. It's all just sort of superficial. You know, yeah, you're not necessarily sharing all your hopes point. and dreams. And yeah. so, yeah, you can keep those friends for a long time. So maybe they're not that important to you when it comes down to it. Yeah. Whereas we're supposed to just bear our soul. Yeah. To other girls. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't work out so well. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So imagine I'm in an all girls high school graduating class and Amy's there to give a speech. What uh, are you telling this class? What are you telling these girls? Well, first, I want to channel, you know, you giving a speech mm-hmm. to high schoolers mm-hmm. um, when you said none of this shit matters. I mean, that's a great <laughs> thing to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that was many, many episodes ago yes. that you said that. That yeah. still stands. Mm-hmm. I think that's great still advice. Still stands, yep. But I also think to women especially to say you don't have to go this alone. Like the world's yeah. going to tell you that you have to compete with every other girl. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You can work together and you can take down a lot of this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I ask you to remember the story that Aaron shared where a young boy said that girls can't run as fast <laughs> and you took it upon yourself to <laughs> to carry the cause of feminism on your own little shoulders and you failed at that race. I failed hard. You failed the female race. I'm not sure that we advanced feminism no, that day. No, no. So if you had potentially banded with other girls. Exactly. You could have taken that little shit down. If I had looked around and yeah. found an actual fast or even just someone that regularly ran. For sure. That might have been a step in the right direction. Right. right. Then that race might have gone differently. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm telling these girls okay. is, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, you don't have to go it alone. No. And in fact, it's better if you don't. It's way better it if you don't. It is better if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't So go out there. Fight. Don't don't focus on marriage and all that shit yet. Find your friends. Find your girls. Find yes. your rides or dies. Find your posse. That's what's most important. That's it. Yeah. Yes. I like that. See, Thank that's you. a speech that more people need to hear. Along with none of this shit matters. None of it. None of it Not matters. Not a bit of this matters. <laughs> don't know why you're crying. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and mm. look under your chair because that's your student loan bill. Yeah. And that doesn't matter either. So, okay. There's a lot of norms that we girls Uh supposedly have to follow. Uh Just to get dressed every damn day. We gotta fit. We gotta wear clothes that are stupidly uncomfortable. Uh We have to put makeup on. Uh We have to do our hair. Uh We have to do all these things that guys don't have to do, Uh honestly. Uh 
I feel like when we're younger, that's way more important. It now is. that we're getting older, it's uh-huh. like, ah, do we? Yeah. So are there norms that you used to conform to that you don't anymore? Well, for sure, when I was more in like the corporate professional world on a regular yeah, like daily basis, oh, I, I definitely dressed up every day. Yeah. I mean, I was heels, skirt, like full Oof. hair, makeup. And I feel like if I was still in that world, I'd probably still do that because I always... I don't know. You always come in as a female feeling like you're maybe a couple steps behind. For sure. You feel and like you have to show that front. Yes. To the I have to yeah. present that I'm uber professional and mm-hmm. not someone to be messed with. But so obviously that's gone by the wayside. But I would say that one thing, and I'm trying to remember. So help me here. Okay. I don't remember us having anything like yoga pants or joggers when no. I was younger. No. Right? Not it was like all. sweatpants. It was sweatpants. That's it. Very forgiving sweatpants. Yeah. But that wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Like people just didn't wear sweatpants around. Like no. if you went out, you put on jeans. You put or on you jeans. put on pants. Or... Yes. There was no athleisure. There was yeah. none of that stuff. Your, yeah, your go-to were jeans for sure. And like I held firm to that through college. Like yeah. I always wore jeans or some kind of pants. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I couldn't live without my joggers. Oh my God. I don't ever want to wear jeans. No. Jeans are terrible. They are. And I would have thought if you had asked me, gosh, even if you had asked me maybe even five years ago, but I want to go a little farther than that. For sure, 10. I would have said I would never leave the house in that me kind too. of thing. Me too. But now I'm like, why go to lots of Well, and I think the way. pandemic has accelerated that. That's true. You that know? is true. Yeah. Although I did see something on social media the other day <laughs> where it was someone saying like, listen, I'm seeing some of you ladies out there wearing bras. I thought we had an agreement. Right. Yeah. We don't need to do that anymore. No, we don't need to do that put anymore. Put your joggers on. Yes. Put your leggings on. Yes. Don't put a bra on. No bras. Getting back to it. I feel bad for people who have to work in offices after this. I know. It's rough. And then have to put on that uniform again. Yeah. You have to get it's back no at good. it. Yeah. I, I, you would have asked me and I would have said, no, I would never go out to, even to the grocery store yeah. in that. But yeah. now... I do my whole day in that. And you know, part of that is getting older and just not giving a shit no, anymore. I don't care. Yeah. I don't. Who am I impressing? No. No one. No one. No one. Not myself. No one out in the world. No one out in the world. And I don't need to impress anybody. No. And if you think that that's the place, I'm supposed to be impressing you while I'm buying groceries, <laughs> you should take a look at my cart because my cart <laughs> should tell you everything you need to know. Not enough produce and way too much fruit by the foot. (laughs) Speaking of food, you shared a a story about last week's um, uh, yuck pie. And I thought the listeners might want to hear. Oh, a nice update on the yuck pie. Yes, an update on the yuck pie. Yes. Um, Turns out it it is some sort of living organism (laughs) that refused to be put down. I could not get that out of the pie tin thing by glass <laughs> it was a glass pot i soaked it uh-huh, which uh-huh did that just make it angry yeah it absorbed the water <laughs> it felt like it was <laughs> gathering weapons i scraped and scraped and scraped <sighs> and i immediately threw the trash bag out it was not even close to full but i was like i don't know if i should have this in the house no like, it's gonna sure. take over it's gonna somehow all I could think of was you comparing it to the SNL Bake Off yes! sketch and the evil creature that comes yes! out of it. And that's what it felt like was happening. It was like going to drag you to hell to if you kept it in the yes. house. Yeah. I mean, we already saw that it could shapeshift here. It really did. <laughs> it was so disturbing. You did also say that there was um, more of that, more wetness as the night progressed. Yeah. Um, that you were going to send a picture of 
to me and Heath, and then you spared us. I did because I, I felt like that. I it was close to dinner time, and that felt yeah, no, rude. Nope, nope, nope. No. I especially for Heath, who actually had to eat some. Oh, yeah, that felt like just yeah, really. It's just a Angry. an attack. Yeah, and I just could. Get, I mean, if a text could give you indigestion, that one for sure. <laughs> for sure, did. for sure. Even the picture you shared on social media that showed the yuck pie gave me a sort of. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was yeah. not good. It was. Hmm. Well, it you was sh- real bad. You showed commitment to your um, uh, kitchenware because I would have just thrown that thing out. I would have too. And you know, I don't even know why. But it was my, fa- it's a glass. And here's what's weird about it. I kept thinking, that's my favorite glass pie tin, pie pan. And then I got to thinking after I went through that whole rigmarole, I was walking upstairs and I thought, when the hell do I ever make pies? Why is that my favorite <laughs> say, pie You have pan? a favorite one? Yeah, like what? <laughs> like I'm out here making frittatas and quiches and pies. Like I, that's not happening. Wow. Maybe it, it was, no sense. you know, you, you really thought that you had to kill that thing before I you could throw it out. It, yeah. If you had just left it in the tin, it would have, you know, eaten up your grass or something. It might have absorbed that glass it and might been able have. to use it as like a yes. shooting out glass machine. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that was really scientific. A shooting out glass <laughs> machine. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, well, thanks for the update. Yeah. I felt like our listeners needed to know that. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that. Thank. Yeah, you're welcome. It yeah. was. It was an adventure. Yeah. Okay, so if you are going to take over a traditionally, we were kind of talking about careers. If yes, you're going to take yes. over a traditionally male-dominated field mm-hmm. in anything, mm-hmm. sports, mm-hmm. career, etc., what would you do? Which Which would you take by the storm? I would take over being a billionaire <laughs> because it's all dudes. <laughs> It's all white dudes. That's the best answer ever. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listen, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I won't create anything that will make billions. I just want to. Oh, okay. (laughs) I just want to take the billions that they have and become a billionaire and do it better because they are selfish with their billions. I feel like that's pretty on point for a billionaire, actually. And I'm fine with that. I think you're already on brand. Because once I get the billions, I'm going to do better. I'm going to help people. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I'm at. Uh No real plan on how to do it, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, you know, from the very first episode, I think you said Jeff Bezos, you were coming for him. Yeah. Now I am too. Yeah. Well, my minions have been at work because we all know he's stepping down as CEO. So. Mm. Mm. And his Mm. wife Mm. split up and has taken his money. Took his money and said, hey, guess what, jerk? See, that's the thing. I'm going to donate this, that money I fought for in the divorce. Mm -hmm. Guess what I'm going to do? Donate it. Oh, salt in the wound. Mm Mm-hmm. See, that's where I'm taking my inspiration. Mm-hmm. I want to be like her. I like I want to take the mil- the billions, mm-hmm. the gazillions. The gazillions, jillions. Yeah. And, you know, do something good with it. Yes. Don't just buy a space shuttle. Yeah. And, you know, and name your child something. Now I'm into Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. By no, the that's way. understandable. I yeah, yeah, you can jump okay. there. I yeah. get it. Uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm just going to be better at it. Mm-hmm. That's all. I know. Oh, I agree. I think mm-hmm. that's a great plan. Thank you. That was like the best answer. I couldn't eat that. I like that. <laughs> well, all the other ones. I mean, I can't play sports. No, I mean, come on who now. wants to? And who wants to play who sports? To? No one wants to play games. Who wants to do that? Gross. No. No. Yeah. And other jobs that males. No. Gross. Mm-mm. 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 Actually, we were discussing that in our household because, um, you know, there's some uproar about the 
Olympics in Japan. Like there's some nervousness about whether it can go because they were kind of mm. having a peak, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the news was talking about how disappointing that would be for some Olympic athletes. Uh-huh. And Mike was kind of like, well, I mean, what are you going to do? You know? And I was like, well, actually, from someone that doesn't play sports, the idea that you have worked that hard that many days, I, I would be sobbing. I would be so annoyed. I would be Like, devastated. I spent the last four, five, ten, fifteen years of my life preparing for this. They've been on, you know, they're on strict nutrition plans. Yes. They're, that's all they do is work yes. out. Like, I remember I watched an expose on, I shouldn't say expose. It was like an in-depth following, um, is it Misty May Trainer? Sounds right. Sure. One of the volleyball players that okay. is on the one that wins gold all the time. Yeah. It followed like a day in her life and she has like kids. In, and I was like, this is not normal behavior. No. Like the things she eats, how much she had to work mm-hmm. out, how much she had to practice. Like, yeah, that seems, you know, great when you're winning a gold medal. Like, I want to be a volleyball gold medalist, but you don't. No. It seemed awful. No, I think you're right. I think I'd be devastated if all that work and all that sacrifice, so much sacrifice yes. to your daily nutrition. Yeah. And you're you're waiting, you know, conceivably four years mm-hmm. for the the next Olympics that you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, that age puts them yeah, in a bad spot. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So know? this is it. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is the way they make money because they're on Olympic teams. So they get a salary for that in order to, you know. Aaron, I'm glad we're not Olympic athletes. I have never been more glad I'm yeah. not an Olympic There's <laughs> one thing I go to bed at night and I think, God, I'm glad I'm not an Olympic athlete. <laughs> and also, so I have cho- a lot of stairs in my house. Why did we buy this house? <laughs> we had so many chances to be Olympic athletes and we just said we no. Did. We did. Like, there were so many circuits no. that I was on that they were like, yeah. hey. And I was like, hey. Listen, listen, I'm just not, you know, I know I'm good enough. but yeah, you know. I would like to. I want to tell you yes in this moment, uh-huh, but let's uh-huh. be honest. Yeah. Oh, sports. I love some Reese's Pieces <laughs> and I don't think that's allowed. I also like just sitting on the couch. I like to sit. That's my favorite activity. <laughs> I like to sit. <laughs> so if you got a sitting category, I like I'm TV. In. I like TV. I feel like I'm not going to have time. No. I feel like your training regimen is going to interfere. It's going to come into my binge watching. Yes. I wouldn't have been able to watch Mayor of Easttown. In the amount of days that we exactly. did? Exactly. No. No, I'd be watching it in 10 years being like, oh, I missed everything. See? Oh, man. Remember how we talked about Mike had just discovered Lost like 10 years later? (laughs) That would be like Olympic athletes. They'd be constantly like, oh, did you guys see this show? It's called Lost. Yeah. Yeah, that aired 15 years ago. Yeah. That was the best part about Mike going around saying that was the follow up of people being like, you. (laughs) You know, it's not. Like they didn't want to seem dumb. Like, is there a reboot I didn't know about? And then they're like, what? You mean the old one the and he's show. like well i don't know which one it is but it's like <laughs> because mike has no clue <laughs> oh, oh my god sweet sweet you. mike sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh boy should we move into our picks fiction picks i'm so psyched to tell you about my fiction pick oh i can't wait this is a hot off the press i finished it in like two hot days it was I don't know why the days were hot. It's kind of hot know. here. That's fair. <laughs> it's hot in here. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. It is a novel. It's called We Are Watching Eliza Bright by oh. A.E. Osworth. Okay. Like I said, just came out in April, I believe. Mm. And hot damn, this book. This was another library to book purchase. So got Ooh. it at the library, read it real fast. Ooh. And I was like, I need it in my hot little hands. I need my own copy. Yes. So Eliza Bright is a video game coder. And she mm. works at Fancy Dog Games. 
which has this huge, very intense following. And she's the first woman that's promoted to code. Oh, boy. On their top game. And on her very first weekend, she, like we were saying, like she's working harder and faster. She knows this is a chance of a lifetime. So all weekend, it's an all weekend work marathon where she's trying to develop this code for this new patch for the game. And I'm using words I don't really understand, but you know what I'm there. I'm there. She's got patches. She's got codes. (laughs) I'm in. So after, you know, she shows up on Monday, she's real pleased with herself. She's like, I'm starting off great. She finds that her code has been messed with. And she's confused. She's kind of pissed. So she asks about it. And then she kind of follows up on it. She reports it. And then shit just starts escalating Uh until she is facing down this entire company, pretty much of men and the culture of men and at least one of her coworkers who calls her a feminazi whore (gasps) in the office, by the way, who they all of them pretty much say that she has no business in gaming. Mm. So. At this point, the story goes viral. So it's out in the world. She is fired. Then she is doxxed, in Ugh. which her employee file with all of her personal information is posted online. Uh-huh. So she has now enraged not just her company, but this group of male gamers mm-hmm. out in the world, right? And all these like uh, forums like Reddit and on Twitter and everybody, everybody is out to get Eliza Bright. They think that she has slept her way to the top. Because how else could she get up there? They think that she's destroying the sanctity of game culture. And they also sort of want to fuck her. So well, there's yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So is this kind of based on Gamergate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because I was I like, mean, this yeah. just sounds exactly. very... And it's set around the same time, okay. like late 2016. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's very... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and get this. So the, uh, the, the male gamers, this group of, you know, enraged people out in the world, yeah. they're the ones narrating this. So it's this sort of collective oh. we that is narrating the story. Oh my god! As they stalk her around New York City, and there's one super fan in particular who makes his threats very, very public on Twitter to exact revenge on behalf of men. Oh no! But okay, so there's this collective we that's this voice, mm-hmm. which you can kind of tell like what this voice would be. I mean, just picture, right? You know, yeah, okay. But then there's another narrator voice which is this group that Eliza finds, and it's this secret collective of women and non-binary gamers called the Sixterhood. And they take over narrating for part of it. So the book is, there's like a chase. It's this powder keg of culture stuff. It is so damn propulsive, and it's so well-written. I love it so much. And so, like you said, it's, it's sort of based on Gamergate. And this feels like it could have been a true story of yeah. one of the gamers that we heard about, yes. you know, that was being doxxed and being threatened and yeah. being, you know, getting rape threats, death threats, all of those things. Yes. All because Eliza has the audacity to be a woman who plays video games. How dare you? A woman in the industry, a woman on the internet. So I think we've got a woman and a group of women that are being stifled, but also with the appearance of this collective of other gamers, these women and non-binary gamers, um, We've got some major fuck you empowerment, too, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Yeah. So I think as you read this, you're going to cringe. You're going to cheer. You will say, of course, Mm -hmm. so many times at different developments. And I love that this is about games. And I think for those of us who don't really play games, it sort of seems silly. And they even talk about this in the book that, you know, it may seem silly, but this is about much more than just games. This is about yeah. culture. Yeah. This is about a culture war, and it's shown in many ways, like, who we are and what we're believing right now. Yeah. 
So I think you're going to love this because yeah. of the interesting structure, the different narrators. There's lots of like text exchanges and different formats. And you know Ooh, you're a sucker for that. I am. I love this so much. I'm now following A.E. Osworth all over the place, but in a non-stalker way. Okay. I'm just very just like interested in, a, in them. Okay. Yes. Gotcha, uh-huh. gotcha. And an incredible voice. And yeah, I think you all need to read this immediately. Wow. That and, sounds you know, great. it's so great, too, that, like, of course there'd be a novel about Gamergate. And I'm so glad that this is the one. Yeah, you yeah. Know, because the way that the author, the way they do this is just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's such Agreed. A yeah, I'm, yeah, I think that's awesome that there is one. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, uh, this I'm book this week that I brought is called Mother, Daughter, Widow, Wife by Robin Wasserman. It was published in July of 2020. Um, And this novel opens up, we meet Wendy Doe. She's shown up in a hospital and has absolutely no memory of who she is or what her life was previously. They can't figure out she's not presenting with any particular head trauma or any real trauma necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awake and she's verbal. I mean, she speaks all of those things, but she just has no idea who she is. And she was at the hospital, no identification, nothing. So they they diagnose her with disassociative. Wow, that was hard to say. Disassociative <laughs> fugue, which they say could go away on its own. Or could be here to stay. Good Lord. Right. That's not helpful. No. And and as she's moving forward now in her life, she has memory now. Like, she knows what happened yesterday. So she can create new memories. Yes, she can okay. create new memories. Uh-huh. And she's moving forward. But as this is all happening, she meets Dr. Benjamin Strauss, who's like the leading brain and memory researcher at the time. And he hears about Wendy Doe and says, you need to become a patient at my Meadowlark Institute, which is like his brainchild, his research facility. And she's like, I, okay, because what else am I going to do? Yeah. I got nothing else to do. So she, as she arrives, this corresponds to the arrival of this really talented young scientist who's kind of looking to figure out what her project, what her name in the field is going to be. And, but Dr. Benjamin Strauss is the guy you want to work for. And he only accepts three fellows every year or every, t- every cycle. Mm-hmm. And she, by some luck, gets in because her experiment that she was supposed to get in on actually failed at the last minute. So she's feeling very vulnerable and very nervous and really ready to prove herself. Oh, gosh. And right away, Benjamin Strauss takes a liking to Lizzie and is like, this is your pet project. You're going to work with Wendy Doe. We're going to figure out what's going on here. So immediately she spends all this time with Wendy, talking to Wendy. Wendy has all these interesting things to say. Um, kind of like that great fuck you attitude about everything, uh-huh. you know, no, that doesn't matter, has this really great sense of self for really not knowing anything about her past life. And Lizzie's just kind of tasked with doing whatever she wants to do. They take her into town to buy clothes. She has smoke breaks. She's just there and she's recording everything. So just as you're getting into that, you fast forward into the future. Oh, and we find out that Wendy Doe's daughter is on the doorstep of Lizzie asking her to help her piece together what went on with her mother. Oh. Yeah. And from there, we backtrack the story of Lizzie and Ben, of what happens between them, of what happened with Wendy Doe, and what happened really at the Meadowlark Institute. Oh, my gosh. And we kind of learn right away that Dr. Strauss really squandered Lizzie's talent. He really ruined things by making her pick between her work and him. Of course he did. Yeah. And so she didn't really ever fulfill what she wanted to. And 
the whole story, there's so much more that happens after mm-hmm. that. So I didn't ruin anything. No spoiler alerts there. It truly from there, you can't picture where it's going to go. And I was trying to think about how I felt about this book because it was propulsive, but uh-huh. not in the same way that like a, I say that about true crime sometimes right, 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 or right. like a mystery where you're like, I got to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It was just this really raw, vulnerable writing because you're encountering different women in the whole book at different points in their life and they're all being stifled in some way uh, like yeah. you know we've got the the mother Wendy Doe we've got the daughter looking for her we've got this widow we have someone that's a wife and there's just this very raw energy in the whole book about parts of them that don't feel fulfilled mm-hmm. and how they're trying to figure out either how to do that before it's too late or make peace with the fact that they didn't do it and the plot itself isn't necessarily, you know, that quick or that thick, but just the thoughts and the thing, like even some of the stuff Wendy Doe says, I was like, oh my gosh, I would have to like take a break and just let it soak in. Wow. It's really well written. It's really interesting story. It's very gripping. And I will say very emotional. I felt very emotional throughout that wow. book at different points. And I think it's because you're, there's so many well-written female characters in this book that you're bound to feel connection to someone Mm -hmm. you're bound to see yourself somewhere Mm -hmm. i fell in like so hard because as you mentioned i'm a little bit of a sucker for different styles Mm -hmm. we've got some journal entries from wendy interspersed throughout yep we've got different narrators and different chapters it was just it was so good it's a great story too there's some great stuff that happens but it was just a really interesting look at women at all different points and making all kinds of different decisions and the weight of those, which I think is unique in a lot of ways to women. Absolutely. And I think that what you just said about being emotional because these are well-written women characters, I get that a lot where suddenly like I'm watching something or I'm reading something and it just feels so real, Mm -hmm. which feels rare, you know, and maybe that's why it is so emotional. Like, yes, finally someone got it kind Mm -hmm. of thing, you know? I love the idea that multiple things can be true at once. So someone can be great and flawed. Someone can, can really want this over here, but also really want this. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in this book. Like I, I really want this relationship but i also want to have a career and why do i have to choose because that seems like something we as women are forced to do Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i also like that it's named meadowlark because that made me immediately think of a cult yeah or a wellness company which are kind of the same things yeah yeah Yeah. and it almost has that a little bit Mm -hmm. like it has Mm -hmm. dr strauss in this book has this untouchable quality like no one's questioning him of course because Mm -hmm. he's successful and he's done this whole thing and you know maybe some people should have been questioning him so Mm -hmm. it's it's a doozy and that feels like um, both cults and wellness uh, programs seem to be very uh, on on theme, too, because they promise yes. female empowerment. Yes. And it's really just stifling them and, and straight up uh, murdering them sometimes. Straight up murder. <laughs> murder. Which is stifling them. It, that, that's, that's, that's a, a major stifling. That's a permanent stifle. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to come back from. <laughs> permanent stifle that sounds like a, a band name right there <gasps> oh it does it does that sounds like a great punk rock band permanent stifle. yeah or it's a great name for a true crime book because it's just another way of saying murder <laughs> how many headlines 
you know, how many titles also, can you have with murder? It sounds like a good bar name. Oh, man, it does. Like a hidden bar. Like you have yeah. to go through a couple different doors to get like there. Like a speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah. Speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone says speakeasy, I go right to flapper dresses and Gary Gatsby. Which you kind of did a little shimmy I thing. Did. Like you were wearing a flapper dress. A speakeasy. I don't know why I have to talk like and that. And suddenly you sound like Lauren Bacall. Yeah. So there you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was a uh, that was transportive right there. You just I'm took glad. us away. I'm glad to a to speakeasy called Permanent Stifle. <laughs> Coming to a strip mall near you. <laughs> oh, so for other genre book, mm. got another book I'm excited about. It's called Sarah Land by Sam Cohen, mm. and this is a short story collection that came out earlier this year. And as the title may indicate, it is all about people named Sarah. Um, there's straight Sarahs, there's queer Sarahs, there's gender non-conforming and non-binary Sarahs. We got Sarahs all over the place. Yes. So we've got a Jewish Sarah in college who is surrounded by a group of Sarahs. It's kind of like the Heathers. Okay. Oh. And she's feeling like she's sort of just passively following along as they all declare a uh, like a MIS, Masters of Information Science major, and as they all date these dudes, and it's just sort of, yep, this is, this is life. Oh. There's a Sarah who gets into sex work, particularly playing dead for a wealthy man who's really into necrophilia. There's a Sarah who writes fan fiction to work through her own romantic obsessions. And there's a Sarah who, with her partner, decides to become a tree. Just growing as a tree. Saying, I'm done with life. I'm just going to grow in the backyard. I kind of like it. Yeah. And then my favorite is Sarah from the Bible, or Sari, S-A-R-I, mm-hmm. who was wedded to Abraham, and she was barren. Because there is no really gender here, though, in this story, uh, Sarah's not understanding she's a trans figure, and she isn't producing babies because that's not how her body works. Oh. So they bring in Hagar, and Sari, and Hagar develop a relationship except it's the bible so patriarchy has to take over yeah so things go from there oh my god it's so great so super unique super engaging stories i really love all of these in the different directions and the fact that they're all linked by this idea of them all being serious yeah that's genius And I chose it for this theme because I think across all of these stories, the people named Sarah are coming up against rules. Mm. They're coming up against the expectations for women, all the rules around heteronormativity, Mm -hmm. um, the expectations and rules set by their friends or their partners. And all of these Sarahs, in some way or another, either wish to or try to explode these rules and even maybe what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. across these stories. So you're never just a girl. There's so much baked in. And I think think you would like this. Again, lots of different structures, lots of different takes on things. It's a terrific collection. It's the best kind of thing when there's some sort of connection across them that you can really, you know, specify and they all sort of work together. Yeah. Mm. And that Bible one stuck with me. I loved that idea. That's such a great uh, premise too. Like it's so, the idea that they're all Sarah's, it's sort of simple in a way, but yet you've never seen that and it's genius. I know. All right. Well, this book for my nonfiction pick. Oh boy, you're making a face. Yeah. It's a doozy. Oh. Let me tell you. Okay. It's a doozy. It's called Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the oh, Sackler Dynasty by I, Patrick Radden Keefe. I heard him talk about this. This sounds intense. It is intense. Okay. 
It is intense. It was just published in April 2021. And let me just say from the jump, before I even talk about the story, that you had um, recommended his Say Nothing book. Yes. Um, he His writing style, his dedication to this story, Ooh. the amount of research that took, he was threatened throughout this story. I bet. The amount of time and energy and the genius way that he set this up that went about, you know, fact-checking everything is the only way that this story got out. And he says at the end, you know, that he doesn't want this to be the end of, you know, this isn't the end of where this story should end in terms of the last thing that's written about this. But he does say that he hopes it's used as a launching pad for other things. And what we're talking about is the opioid crisis. Yep. So we're talking about the Sackler family who, if you've never heard of them, it's going to blow your mind because they single-handedly invented Oxycontin and are single-handedly responsible for it being the crisis that it is. And the family itself is... So this is kind of a deep dive into their family from the beginning all the way to present day. So you have three brothers that made it up, Arthur, Raymond, and Mortimer. And they all became... Mortimer, right? What a name. I know. Mortimer. Mortimer. They all became doctors. They all had children, grandchildren, and everyone in their circle has lived life off of Purdue Pharma, the company that eventually produced Oxycontin. But it really all stems from Arthur. He's the oldest, and he kind of always took Raymond and Mortimer under his wing. Like, he was always kind of responsible for them. So he's really the patriarch that set this whole entire thing in motion. Kind of his values are what formed that family. His ideas about how to hide things, like, even when, clear back, when this, it started with him, uh, he was doing things like, editing medical journals what? but putting the ads in or saying this was the thing that should be used knowing that doctors would see that he had interest in companies that competed with other companies so like no matter who came out on top he was winning Ugh. he had this very strong interest in art so he became an art collector spent so a godforeseen amount of money collecting really rare pieces and then convinced places to give him like special viewing rooms that he had access to and he would throw parties there. So it gave him this air right away. Like if the Met has your stuff, you uh, must be you a can't decent be a bad guy. dude. Yeah. 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 And it partially came out of a true love of art, but mm -hmm. then that, that name has filtered from there. Like there are still places that have his name on the exhibits because oh my God. yeah it is it's insane the tentacles of this thing i mean octopus doesn't even cut it like Ugh. it's unbelievable and to not i truly don't think i knew the sackler name like not until like maybe a couple of years ago when it started yeah. coming out or maybe even this year i don't know but yeah it, yeah to know like not... to recognize the name and automatically tie yes. it with that yes. I, I don't think that i had done that mm -mm. and the book itself is fascinating because it tells the background of all of their family, but it also talks about the background of Oxycontin and about the rise of it. And there are some crazy facts in there, like the fact that one of the side effects of withdrawal from it, which can happen within hours of not taking one, is body pain, like back pain. So these people that were taking it oh were thinking, oh, I'm not taking enough. My back hurts. So they would take more, not realizing that one of the symptoms of withdrawal of the medicine is that. I mean, there were so many things <sighs> like that that were just mind-blowing. So designed to be addictive in that way. This literally got to market in the shadiest way I've ever heard. And I can tell you right now, I'm 
the Sackler family is disgusting, but you know who else is? The FDA. Because Ooh. this was... The Sackler family knew that the FDA was going to be instituting a new rule where you couldn't take something. It, there was a product that was similar to this that was on the market overseas. The Sackler family knew that the FDA was about to pass a law where you couldn't like take that and start fresh. Like if it was passed there, you couldn't say, okay, we have this good model. We'll just add to it and see ours should already pass. There was like this weird loophole and they slid in mm. before that happened on purpose knowing, and the FDA tried to make them go back to the beginning, but there were so many doctors that were already prescribing it and uh. said, my patient can't not have this. So the FDA said, fine, we'll let it slide. So none of the information that was told to doctors, none of that is really true. Like the testing, what they did on testing the abuse of it. And what you have throughout the book is this family who just doubled down and said, no, if it's getting abused, it's because the person's making bad choices, has nothing to do with the drug. Ah. And that lineage has gone from the top all the way down to the bottom. Like everybody in the family basically believes that. Or, well, and that philosophy has made its way out into the world too, where we're all just blaming like, oh, there are a bunch of addicts. Like, oh, yeah. like, there's nothing really... And they don't want to be, and somehow, magically, you know, we've heard a lot of lawsuits and things that have come because of opioids, you know, even cities mm -hmm. suing because they've, you know, have so much devastation and they've always somehow managed to keep the Sackler name out of it. They never had oh. been personally sued before. So this book reminded me, I shouldn't say the book, the story reminded me a lot of Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, where oh, yeah, yeah. you're sort of like, Okay. Did they mean to do it? Yeah, they, yeah. you're left with that. Uh -huh. But then that's what's so brilliant about this book. And it was the same with Bad Blood, where you get through it and you're like, well, there's no way they didn't know. There's just no way. And there's proof. I mean, he did the work. Like he got, you know, uh, all kinds of things that were, uh, what do I want to say? Right of Information Acts. That's not the mm -hmm. right. For you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did so much work to get all of this information, mm -hmm. and it's beautifully compiled. It's very accessible. It's maddening. It's frustrating. But it, it kind of left me thinking a lot about some of the stuff that's been going on over the last year. And to me, one of the central questions is, if you're raised your whole life to believe a certain thing, how do we divide responsibility between the individual who should grow and learn more and the people that are responsible for that thought process? That's so relevant to yeah. everything we're hearing about just the way our world works, mm -hmm. the way our country works. It's mm -hmm. absolutely true. Yeah. There's a lot in here about politics that are oh, going to take you off. Um, so I picked for this theme, I know this seems kind of outside, but I picked it because there's a lot of really fascinating female characters in the Sackler family that are stifled. Um, Arthur himself had three different wives, and one of them was a, a very prominent scientist who knew her stuff, and he just wrecked her. Oh, just no. Just destroyed her. Um, and it sort of felt like that even with the female. I mean, they all still, you know, toe the party line. Sure, that, sure, you know, sure. Yeah. That, but they all sort of feel like there's not a lot of attention given there. They're not making a lot of decisions. And it felt like a lot in the story, there were women in positions that could have stopped been very important like, and stopped yeah. it mm -hmm. and were either ignored or were shut down. Ugh. And you have to give credit to one of the attorney generals who was a female who fought this and fought this and fought this and did not give up until she got the Sacklers named in a suit. And probably to much peril, I have to imagine. I bet. He doesn't specifically mention it. He mentions 
you know, kind of some threats he got personally. So I have to imagine someone on the legal side of it for did sure. as well. I, and so for that reason, I kind of think that it was an interesting story to go, okay, here's this huge opioid crisis. And what's really missing is empathy. And what's also missing is a lot of female characters. And yes. how can you not relate those two things? Oh my God. What a good point. Like they kind of go together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I love his writing. I love the <sighs> fact that he just goes there. Like in Say Nothing, you know, the fact that he he works his way to finding who he thinks did this murder. And here, like going up against a corporation like that in this family, it must have been. Yeah. You're right that the pressure must have just been phenomenal. It's insane. And the deep, I mean, the back he starts so early in Arthur's life and guns all the way to the present and does it in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming or like, oh my gosh, I can't learn anymore. I mean, you want to. You want yeah. to understand the lineage and understand where we're at and how much people have been lied to. I hate so much, too, that he sounds like he's sort of a figure like Robert Murdoch, where it's one person that has this outsized influence mm-hmm. on the culture and on the world and you know of course washing his hands of everything and again i say i could do a better job as a billionaire exactly it's it relates i could do so much better it relates perfectly i want to take the stacklers sacklers stacklers what is it sackler thank you yeah. mm-hmm. i want to take their billions you should i want to take all the opioids yes burn them up Get let them the yuck pie eat them all yes and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, can you imagine the yuck pie absorbing all that what would it be? I don't even know. Huh. It would be our first supervillain. That's is what a it would true be. pill mill right there. Yeah, that's not good. Mm-mm. That wasn't a good idea. But you see what I mean. I know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Something that we would feel okay destroying. Because these billionaires, man. They got to go. Yeah. It's wow. Right. Well, yeah. it sounds really good. Like I said, I heard him talk about it on a podcast. And he he's so just sort of like... Like, I think he's very aware of his skill as an investigative reporter and a mm-hmm. writer, but he's also like, yeah, I mean, it was really intense. Like, he just wrote, he was just talking about like, yeah, yeah I mean, it was it was wild kind of thing. So good. It's so good. It's an investment. It's like over 500 pages. Yeah. Well, but yeah, it has, to be. it has to be. Yeah, it yeah, has to be. For sure. Well, for pop culture, I've got a little lighter fare. Okay. For okay. Us. A, a little bit. Okay. A little bit. Okay. I told you about this movie. This is a movie film okay. on oh. Netflix. Another cinematic feature. <laughs> okay. It's called Moxie. Oh, yes. This is this came out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Amy Poehler. <sighs> another good Amy right there. That is another good Amy. So this is about Vivian, who is a teenager. And she's kind of shy. She just goes along to get along. She's smart. You know, she's just trying to kind of get through high school. Her mom is Amy Poehler. And Amy Poehler, I forget her character's name because I did not write it down. I'm just going to call her Amy Poehler. I'd like that. Yeah. 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 She makes no bones about her past, which was full of rabble rousing teenage rebellion. Nice. In fact, she was an original riot girl. Oh. You see where I'm going and you see why I liked this. Yeah. Yeah, I see the connection right away. Yep. 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 See how you got Amy on the hook. I mean, you know. Um, Then one day at school, a new girl comes in and her name's Lucy and she's super confident she will not take any shit from any of the stupid dude bros that are all around. And inspired by Lucy, Vivian starts seeing all sorts of ways that sexism is dominating the school. Like simple things like how a girl is wearing a tank top and she has a large chest. So she is told to cover up because it's being immodest and it's making the boys distracted. You know, all that Mm -hmm. basic shit. Just shaming her Mm -hmm. and her body. Mm -hmm. 
Or there's more complex things like girls that are raped and then called sluts. So one day she finds her mom's old boxes of Riot Girl stuff filled with zines, filled with music, feminism that says fuck all to the sexist rules for girls. And pissed off one night, she creates her own zine and it's called Moxie. And she drops it off anonymously in the bathroom at school and it spreads. And pretty soon there is a movement on her hands. No one knows Vivian's writing it. Everyone's super psyched about it. There's a whole secret code system where they're drawing stars on their hands to show that they're supporting this. And all the girls are getting together, banding together, becoming friends. So I chose it for this theme because of everything. Yeah. Because these girls are being stifled. Because we're still dealing with the same shit that we were Mm -hmm. when we were teenagers. Mm Mm-hmm. And we've got these girls also seeing that stifling mm-hmm. and finding a way to empower themselves. Yeah. Um, mostly by looking to the past, but also by looking to each other. Yeah. I loved this so much. And not just because there are several Bikini Curl songs. And even a band of teenagers covering Rebel Girl from Bikini Kill. And that band is called the Lindas. Well. That's enough to appeal to this old heart of mine. But also, just watching women and watching young women in particular come into their own and band together. That part about like realizing we're not all competition, realizing that we're all sort of going through the same shit and that Mm -hmm. maybe we can help each other. Yeah. It's it's a really inspiring thing. It's uh, Of course, there's, you know, blocks along the way, roadblocks along the way, but Mm -hmm. it's a very satisfying story. Wow. And Amy Poehler. That sounds great. Playing an older punk, and I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love it, too. <laughs> well, I'm going to take us back to depression. Oh, boy. <laughs> so my nonfiction pick this week was kind of a two-for-one, because this relates, my pop oh. culture pick. It's called Crime of the Century. Oh, boy. It's, an, it's on HBO. It's a two-part documentary, and this is by Alex Gibney, who he did The Inventor the Theranos story Mm -hmm. and he did Going Clear the Scientology story that's where I know the name yeah Yeah. okay so this explores the origins and continued rise of the opioid epidemic oh boy Um, and Patrick Radden Keefe is in it oh really yeah he gives some information he's interviewed so and it it does explore the Sacklers but it also explores politicians different roles what I found interesting and why I think you need both is that Patrick Radden Keefe's book is really Sacklers and the actual honest rise of it. It has it tells you about the other players that kind of helped, but that's not really the focus of the story. This one is sort of like a comprehensive overview that shows how politicians helped this happen, how the FDA helped this happen. Oh boy. And what I found very interesting was the culture inside Purdue Pharma to sell this product. Because a big part of this was getting this in doctors' hands and convincing them that this was the way to go. So they have a guy who is like their top seller that's turned and is working. It And some of the stuff that you're going to see, they have actual videos from sales meetings. I, it's going to blow your mind. And it's, it's two parts. I want to say each part's around an hour and a half or two hours. It's worth it. And I actually think, watch that first. 
before reading it. Okay. Yeah, because it gives a lot of great background information. Mm-hmm. It gives you a great idea of where we are now and why people are fighting so hard to get it to stop. It does a lot of interviews with people um, and it's really accessible. And then I think you're really going to crave that deep dive into okay. the Sacklers. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing here. You, you've got a bunch of sales reps who realize, oh, I got to get a bunch of ladies in tight skirts to get them in front of these doctors. Uh, I got to... Of course. Yeah, it's so interesting, the culture that surrounds this problem and I think you really see that played out well on the screen here oh. you see they show real footage of politicians fighting laws live on the senate floor about why we shouldn't pass certain things that would help this so much and then it shows how much they got in comp- campaign contributions Ugh. yeah it is it's really well done and it's really interesting like I said it's great to see Patrick Red and Keith in it it's a great intro. I mean, you're going to really do a deep dive into the Sacklers, but I think it's worth it. I, I mean, really do. I mean, if we're talking about true crime, which we do a lot. Yes, we and do. And I know there isn't like some straight across murders in here, but this is very... There's a lot of death. There is a lot of death. And as far as a crime... This is huge. This is organized crime. Yes. And that's what's so interesting about this. And that's why it's called crime of the century, because no one looks at it as a crime. Right. They look at it as this corporation that... A product and these people misused it uh-huh. no you know there's a very interesting component here that these people knew there's responsibility which makes it a crime i love that it's getting into that idea because it feels like that's such a huge lie told by corporations and politicians that everything that goes wrong with their products everything that goes wrong with our laws are personal responsibility yeah that you're you as a person mm-hmm. are a failure mm-hmm. and that's why you're addicted to those drugs that's why you can't make any money that's why you can't you know mm-hmm. make it in this fucked up world mm-hmm. yeah and to know that the sacklers know that they and there's so did much it on evidence. purpose yeah they they yeah they knew exactly what was happening they know everything that they put in place they knew wasn't going to work i mean at one point they had convinced the fda that putting the red like the coating on it um, that's supposed to make it extended release was like the, that prevented abuse. And a pharmacist said immediately after that came out, they saw people coming in with like red stuff on their shirts. Like they were just wiping off the pills, you know, or licking it off and then taking it. Oh like my it, God. It, and th- they knew that, like they had to know that if you did any kind of testing on that drug. Also, you get to see some depositions from the Sackler family because a few times they were successful in getting them to sit down and it'll make you want to punch someone because the way that they're so like cavalier and I don't know I guess like one of them answers a bunch (sighs) of I think it's Richard a bunch of times like well if that's what it says (gasps) oh yeah I guess if you counted that's how many companies I own like infuriating totally infuriating it makes me my heart just goes out to everyone who's lost someone in that and is trying to fight this battle and watching people be so callous yeah is got to be gut-wrenching and to be then blamed for it somehow yes yeah that That you're you're at fault not the corporation your loved one is somehow uh, had a deficit and that's why this happened yeah yeah they're just great business owners who found out a way to have money and Mm -hmm. you abused it and you know they make a direct correlation between you know the opioid crisis now getting us to where we're at with the heroin crisis again because it's that's the next thing yeah for sure when it when it gets controlled then that became like the the most like it 
uh-huh. and then that became the alternative that was easier to find. It's, and this is not a thing where it's like one walk of life or one, you know, it no, doesn't discriminate. Everyone. It's everyone. It's people that were getting put on this because legitimately of pain. And, and pain. what's so interesting, I forgot this, the most interesting part to me was that when the drug was developed overseas, it was developed by a nun who ran a hospice, well, she had the idea, she ran a hospice for cancer patients. And she said, hey, you know what we really need is a way to give them morphine at home without an IV so that they don't have to come to the hospital every time. They're at end of life. We're just trying to make them comfortable. They're not getting medical treatments, but they're having to take hospital space to get the pain relief. We need something that can do that in between that I could administer at hospice or they could administer at home. And so she had met with scientists and said hey do you have ideas for this and they were like oh yeah and that so it came out of this place of Uh. of helping a very particular population where yeah in that case you wouldn't necessarily study abuse or addiction because that's not it doesn't matter at that point you're using it for a very limited amount of time for a very specific purpose that's what it was only supposed to be also way to take a woman's idea and fucking just destroy it ruin it and you know i'm sure you know i don't think she's alive anymore but i'm sure she doesn't want to take credit now but (laughs) you know stifle away i don't want credit for that one I shall remain nameless, and yeah. that is fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Child of God, I'm a nun. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a mess. Mm-hmm. There's just, there, there's so many times in there that you're just going to think, hmm. huh. Hmm. Way to take us to depression land again. Yeah, sorry. I took you right back there. <laughs> Let's go back to Moxie. Yeah. Did I tell Yay, you there's an exclamation Moxie! point at the end of the name? Yeah, and it's got an awesome scene. <laughs> so when you're feeling really strung out and sad about society. <laughs> I mean... It, I mean, my first pick was not a, a cheerful pick. It was about no. dudes threatening to rape Doxing, and kill yeah. a girl mm-hmm, for, you know, mm-hmm. playing games. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're just two girls in the world. In the world. Bringing you books. Bringing take, you depressing books. Bringing you fun books. Just taking that you... pink ribbon off your eyes. <laughs> the good news is that we're going to be back next Wednesday. Yeah, we are. And in the meantime... Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. Witch. Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor, the final evidence, the heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You, you, you hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not, that's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What 
are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.